0: hello deep state radio listeners to celebrate the launch of our new login and feed management system we are offering membership for just five dollars per month or fifty dollars per year members receive access to exclusive bonus content from all of our podcasts an invitation to the dsr slack community an ad-free listening experience and more to take advantage of this offer please visit the dsrnetwork.com buy there's no need to enter a promo code that's thedsrnetwork.com slash buy. Thank you very much.
1: Nine,
2: twelve, ten,
1: 12, 10,
2: 28, 2, 23. This is Deep State Radio. Coming to you direct from our super secret studio in the third sub basement of the Ministry of Snark in Washington, D.C., and from other undisclosed locations across America and around the world. Hello, and welcome to the latest edition of the podcast. I'm your host, David Rothkoff, coming to you from not too far outside of New York City. We're joined today because it's that time of our week, of course, by my co host, Kavita Patel. She served in the Obama administration as director of policy for the Office of Intergovernmental Affairs and Public Engagement. She's a practicing physician. How are you doing today, Kavita?
3: I will not give you my vital signs or my rhinorrhea status like the president's doctor did, but I'm doing really (laughs) well. Thank you.
2: Excellent. We are also joined by our friend E.J. Dion. E.J. is a senior fellow at the Brookings Institution, a syndicated columnist for the Washington Post and university professor in Foundations of Democracy and Culture,
1: Georgetown University. Hey, EJ, how are you? Thanks for going through all those titles. And a blessing to be with your next guest who always teaches me stuff. Well, <laughs>
2: that next guest is Norm Eisen. Norm is Senior Fellow in Governance Studies at the Brookings Institution, previously served as special counsel of the House Judiciary Committee from 2019 to 2020, including for the impeachment and trial of President Trump. Hi, Norm. How are you?
0: David, so nice to be with you, and Kavita, and my Brookings colleague and beloved friend, EJ. EJ is part of, like, you know, the greatest generation. There's a greatest generation at Brookings, too. EJ, Tom Mann, and a bunch of others who mentor me.
1: I think he's saying I'm getting old, but I'll take that as a very kind word. Anything that associates with with my friend Tom is great. Um well I I
2: I I agree I think it was it it you you guys are the stars still. Well let me you know the 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 topic is pretty straightforward last night we had the 8th I think uh session of the House January 6th committee once again it was a tightly produced television show it had all sorts of uh interesting revelations it told the story of the afternoon of January 6th and the response of the then president, Donald Trump, and those around him to the events that were happening on Capitol Hill. We're now at a hiatus in the production of these uh, remarkable made-for-television specials from the House. Let's get everybody's take on where we are now, starting with you, E.J.
1: Well, I think these hearings have been remarkably successful in a number of respects. First of all, having two military veterans, Congresswoman Luria and Congressman Kinzinger and a Republican and a Democrat was incredibly effective since uh, Trump's uh, failure to do his duty was part of the central theme last night. But I also think they have been very effective in keeping Benny Thompson's promise, the chairman's promise from the beginning to say that they would show that this was a concerted effort from beginning to end to undermine our elections. And I think it's very clear after yesterday that this wasn't, and a lot of people have said this, that this wasn't just that Trump did nothing about the attack on the Capitol. He was very clearly very happy to see it. And I think the way they focused on that tweet about Mike Pence, here's a crowd that might be in the process of hurting or maybe even killing Mike Pence. And he doesn't try to pull them back. He eggs them on, and he clearly only gave up and told the crowd in a really begrudging way to go home after it was very clear that his effort to stop the count of the electoral votes through this crowd, by courtesy of this crowd, would fail. One other point I would underscore is: I actually think this is having a quiet but measurable effect on Republicans and Independents. You're seeing. A lot of Republicans quietly turn to other candidates rather than Trump in some of the polls. Now, Ron DeSantis is not my idea of a great alternative to Donald Trump. But the fact that he and others are now sort of in the running with him tells you that I think Republicans are just sick and tired of Trump. They're sick and tired of uh, somebody who only talks about the 2020 election. And they know the evidence that the committee is producing is evidence that would at the very least hurt Trump. And I think lastly, by moving, uh, having more hearings in the fall, I think this committee will put democracy into play in the fall elections. And I think that's a really good thing. If you look at the
2: recent polls of the Republicans, Trump is about half. But that means that about half of Republicans want somebody other than Trump at this point, which is, a, is, 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 is quite a change. Norm, there was this kind of underlying narrative, you know, that the president sat and watched while the Capitol was under siege. I came away last night with a, a different view somewhat that, you know, the president to say he was sitting and watching is like saying that an arsonist sits and watches the house he burnt down, <laughs> uh, burned down. And meanwhile, he was pouring gasoline on the flames and keeping away the fire department. What was your take, Norm?
0: I think that's right, David. That's one of my five big takeaways, which overlap with EJ's. It really wasn't a question of inaction. It was of his actions during the 147 minutes, that 224 tweet, when we know Trump knew the crowd was armed, he wanted to walk with them. He agreed with their ire. We know that from Cassidy Hutchison. And then he puts that tweet out there. And in the Thursday, the eighth hearing, we saw the result when they did that very good mosaic of the video of the vice president and his team and the audio for the first time. They feared for their lives. They were calling their families to say goodbye. That's the president's action, his murderous intent. And of course, that tweet was read to the crowd on a bullhorn. He took an oath and his dereliction for the 147 minutes when everybody else in the building was begging him to act, when Pence was acting. What a contrast. And as E.J. says, not just the military veterans who served our country, that risked their lives. That was Kinzinger and Luria's oath by comparison to Trump's dereliction, but also Pottinger, who was a veteran, Mm -hmm. and his sense of duty and that of Sarah Matthews, they immediately resigned after that tweet. So it's not just inaction, it's action. My other big takeaways, the outtakes were very powerful in filling in a missing element of the criminal case intent. And there's uh, the hearings are important because the committee is going to make, as EJ says, put this issue in a nonpartisan way on the ballot 2022 as a referendum, not just on abortion, not just on guns, but on democracy, a three legged stool. And then the obstruction that is emerging, you know, these Secret Service cronies of Trump, they anonymously, apparently smeared Cassidy Hutchison as part of Trump's witness intimidation scheme. Now we learn they fail to preserve relevant, possibly relevant documents, and they need their own criminal defense lawyers. Wow.
1: I thought, by the way, that was really such an interesting thing that I think it was Congresswoman Luria just snuck in there that they've got new lawyers. And boy, that was a preview of coming, uh, I don't know, Mm -hmm. attractions is the wrong word, but uh, coming troubles.
0: EJ, you and I have been around D.C. for a while between us. You know, the Watergate thing, it's not the crime, it's the cover up. Yep. and they are now in the case of Trump it's the crime and the cover up but they are now onto what looks like a very serious obstruction of justice scheme with intimidating witnesses destroying documents and that's a living narrative that drives this they've been so skillful in how they even how they did this they put one piece out in the hearing then they put the members out in the press to keep the story rolling to explain who it was and and that they'd gotten these defense lawyers so very skillful presentation by the committee continues.
2: Yeah, And by the way, in the, uh, in the cover-up side of this thing, we also learned, without much drama around it, but I thought it was striking, that the president's schedule was blank for this period of time. The president's call log is blank for this period of time. And that obviously means no photographs. Obviously, everything was, was, was uh, wiped or intentionally left blank. Kavita, before you ask them questions, what was your reaction?
3: Yeah, I'll give quickly. I'll, can I be honest? I was waiting for some, there were definitely moments that the call logs, kind of the gap in time. Nothing about Trump sitting in the Oval Dining, whining with his whatever diet coat with Fox on the monitor shocked me whatsoever. It's exactly where I pictured him, to be honest. So I, I guess that part of it did not shock me. And in fact, I actually thought that Cassidy Hutchinson's testimony was. Just at least the kind of peek in to you know, kind of the pulling back of like the wizard, and and uh, so to speak. And last night was a little bit of a denouement in some in some aspects. The second thing that uh, I it just occurred to me, and I'm just going to give you what I think was the uh, like more the people that have worked inside the White House takes. We knew Ivanka had this incredibly outsized influence on him, but. You know, when you thought about like the content of the video, just whether he would actually say peace and all of these things, it is incredible how much of an influence Ivanka had and to what lengths she went to both protect him and then to, you know, have influence, successfully have influence over him with the first lady, not that I expected her, but the first lady nowhere to be spoken. And then finally, the the thing that I I will say that I did not like, I, I know Matt Pottinger, incredibly smart and talented individual. It felt last night like it was much more of a grand jury presentation. And I know that there is obviously the theatrics to that. I don't know whether that helps. I don't know if like because of the primetime nature of it and hopefully, you know, millions of Americans who would otherwise not have tuned in watching it, if they kind of appreciated like that theatrics or not.
2: Let me just interject there before your question. Yeah. And, you know, people will be unhappy with me for saying so. But Matt Pottinger was irritating. He obviously loved being there on the microphone. He went on at great length. He bloviated. He did.
3: That's Matt.
2: (laughs) And, uh, you know, it was perfectly fine. You know, he did the right thing at the right moment. But he also tried to, you know, put in an ad for their foreign policy, which, you know, I'm happy to have a discussion about, you know, whether what he said was true or not. He also said it was a close election. It wasn't a close election. Right, right, he brought up right. Richard Nixon as the example. It was a lousy example. You know, there were some witnesses there that I thought were very compelling over the past eight of these things. He wasn't one of them.
1: Could I take issue with that on the following grounds, which is some of the stuff that probably bothered you about what he said bothered me because you and I are closer in our views than either of us is to Matt Pottinger? I felt that some of the very conservative and pro Trump stuff he said. Actually, added to the credibility of the case he was making on the central point. Validation. Yeah, that there was no way you could say this guy. Republicans. Right. There was no way you could say this guy is a rhino, uh, or is disloyal to Trump, or is disloyal to the Republican Party. So that, to me, the very stuff that might have annoyed you or me, given our politics, might have added to his credibility as a witness. That's unquestionably true. Although
2: I have to say, you know. Liz Cheney and I agree on less probably than Matt Pottinger and I agree on. And I think Liz Cheney is a superstar of these hearings. She is so clear, so powerful, so effective. So anyway. So you let
1: me promote by the column I wrote a couple of days ago, which ran under the headline, Vote for Liz Cheney. Yeah. Ran. I never expected to write that. I saw that. I thought it
3: was so true.
1: (laughs) Anyway, Kavita,
2: I I interrupted your
3: question. So my questions, I have so many. I'm going to keep them short. So because I know we've got to get through, but I can't help since we've got the three of you on task. So, all right, I have to know if you think anybody who watches Fox News actually saw any of this, just a curiosity. And then a little bit more substantive thing. Do you have any kind of insight? Is there enough new evidence for a prosecution? And if so, very hypothetically, what happens if Merrick Garland doesn't do any? Well, let's see this. What if one of you, maybe both of you, had a chance to kind of get a sense of Merrick Garland and kind of where where he is probably at right now, temperamentally preparatory. We know he's working behind the scenes. The DOJ is. What do you think is happening now and how much of that getting to EJ, your point that this just keeps bringing up the issues of voting rights? There is a there is a window where this backfires if we don't see any action, which is, by the way, what I think the overwhelming public believes, some days, myself included that all of this is going to happen and that president trump will suffer no consequences put aside state action for a, a moment that's very dispiriting and a lot of that blame could end up on merrick garland
0: well don't i'll do a tight answer to that and then i'll i'll pass to others on fox news yeah. i think these hearings have become a cultural phenomenon and they they are having a ripple effect and so mm-hmm. people People no longer get there. Even Fox News people no longer just Mm -hmm. get their information from Fox News. And you're seeing it in the polling numbers, which have really shown dramatic movement, including among independents. And 20 percent of Republicans now think Trump should be prosecuted. On the question of whether Merrick Garland will will do that, I don't think you should put aside state action, Kavita, because I think the uh, prosecutor in Fulton County, Georgia, The Atlanta DA, Fonnie Willis, EJ knows this because I've been talking about it for over a year. I wrote a big Brookings report about it approximately a year ago. That's where the rubber is going to meet the road on accountability first. And if she charges civil RICO, a specialty Mm -hmm. of hers, that has up to 20 year jail time penalties. And I think this is this scheme is worthy of serious prosecution and jail time. As for Merrick, finally. I've known him for more than 30 years. We met when we were both young lawyers in DC. And I take him at face value that he'll follow the evidence where it leads. He, you'll notice he's not promising to follow the evidence fast. He's letting the DOJ yeah. process run its usual yeah. course. But I think there's now powerful evidence. So I believe there will be charges, whether it reaches to Trump, we'll see. But that's OK, because we have Fannie Willis. My only question to finish is why don't we have seven? Fani Willis's, because there were six other jurisdictions where this highly unkosher phony elector scheme transpired, personally directed by Trump, according to the committee. We need more DAs to follow the example of Fani.
1: She has, as you have said, Norm, the great advantage of having a tape of Trump saying, find me 11,000 plus votes that don't exist, which obviously Mm -hmm. makes her case, I think, easier to make than perhaps some of the others, although I agree with you. Two quick points. On Fox News, my colleagues, uh, Robbie Jones of PRI and Bill Galston, and I have done work over the years. There's a really sharp distinction between Fox News Republicans, that is Republicans who uh, trust Fox News more than anything else, and other kinds of Republicans. Uh, The Fox News Republicans will be the last people to leave Trump. I think the interesting Republicans, which include conservatives, are the ones who aren't Fox News loyalists. And I think they are getting. Some of this. You've got Trump's unfavorable rating hitting fifteen to twenty percent in some of the polls. If the Republicans lost that share of their vote in the fall elections, that would be a very big deal. So I think something is happening. And then I think there are Republicans who may actually like Trump and are just sick of him now. And I think these hearings have contributed to being sick of dealing with Donald Trump and that moment when he wouldn't say, you know, I don't say that the election is over. That was a powerful message that this guy is going to talk about this into the next millennium, if he's uh, if he could survive that long. On the on the prosecution, I think that going into all of this, there was a the real worry by Merrick Garland and others that prosecuting the guy you beat in the previous election makes a lot, creates a lot of problems, makes us look like an authoritarian country. I think these hearings have shifted the assumption because they have made a case that not prosecuting Trump would be a dereliction. And, you know, I've said before, I've known Merrick since college. So I have enormous affection and respect for Merrick. And I think in the end that this committee actually Made his life easier and also will make a prosecution look less in quotes political because everybody's looked at the evidence and instead of asking the question, why did you go after Trump? The question now on people's minds is, why won't you go after Trump? And I think he's got integrity and I think he'll follow the evidence. We're going to come back in September.
2: What do they have to do? Nobody wants to see them do. What do they have to do starting with the September round of this, EJ, for this process to be successful?
1: I mean, my core belief is this process has already been successful. If they can find more evidence that Trump really was trying to get that crowd to do what that crowd did on 1-6, that would matter if they find more evidence of you know, essentially find more evidence of what they've proven. But I think the other thing is, there. I think they're going to spend August figuring out what the heck happened in the Secret Service. I think that yeah. is one of those scandals that really has legs. I, the it's it's just so hard to understand how they let all of those messages get wiped innocently. And so I think we're going to hear more about what's wrong in the Secret Service. And I think there'll be a lot of reporting on that in the interim.
0: Kavita and I, of course, have worked in the White House. I never heard of someone like Tony Ornato, a Secret Service agent, crossing over. At Kavita, he took the Jim Messina job. I mean, that's one of the most political jobs
1: in the entire building. And
0: the, the Secret Service agents were reportedly inappropriately co-opted by Trump, as is his want. And I think that it is not just a Secret Service scandal. It has a tentacle growing out of the rule of law scandal and the democracy scandal of Donald Trump spoiling everything he touches, including um, including our democracy, trying to anyhow. So I think it will be both a Secret Service scandal and a continuation. And I'll just second EJ. What they have to do now is look at the evidence they have, ask themselves, what haven't we done? What they've done so well is focus on the substance and use the summer to keep digging. I know they're tired. I know they need a break. Keep going. Come back with more fresh material. That's what's powered these hearings. New witnesses, new documents, new evidence. That has proven, in my view, 18 U.S.C. 371, conspiracy to defraud the United States, and 18 U.S.C. 1512, obstruction of an official proceeding in Congress. That federal judge in California said they were likely, now we know, the needle has moved towards proof beyond a reasonable doubt. Keep going! But that'll depend on the investigation that they do this
3: summer. Norm Eisen was the... um they, affectionately known as Mr. No, when I was there as ethics counsel, we would shudder if if, if the things that have been a violation of so many ethics clauses, and and Norm wrote many of them for us as staff, it is just beyond repair. And then the only final thing I'll say that needs to be in this final report is the non-lawyer on this panel, besides you and me, David, the two of us. This report has to look like something that puts, Liz Cheney has put forward many times of what these leaders and Congresswoman Loria Kinzinger, all of them packaged somehow in a way that the American public, this becomes a Mueller report that a lot of us in the Beltway just read because that's what we do. And we understand how Washington speaks and they don't carry over some of that, like Hollywood theatrics into the report. It's going to have, unfortunately, a dull effect compared to all of what's been happening successfully from these hearings.
0: They should le- release a graphic novel to go along. No, with I'm serious. Report. Norm, it's, I
3: it's I've thought about this. I, I pinged a friend of mine who's working on the committee staff. And I said, whoever is helping you, however this is being done, that needs to be taken into the report. If know,
2: they're they're already. Not- I, I have to say, I think they're already a step out of you there because this has been a television series and yeah. it has, you know, it has done its work via video being shared over social media. And yep. and yep. The, if if we could have Josh Hawley here as a guest to discuss what they did to him <laughs> which <Was> that, <laughs> that,
1: would,
2: that, would, that would illustrate the point. I oh, just love. want
1: to say Norm is the sunniest Mr. No I have ever met uh, I, I, in I my can't life. tell
3: you, like how many times we were like, oh, God, Norm sent an email. Did I do something wrong? Did I post something? A spoonful
0: on of sugar makes the medicine go down.
2: Well, you know, if it, if it, you know, having just gone through an administration and where ethics mattered, not at all. It's great to think of how it works properly as it That's did my with,
1: point. You,
2: <laughs> I, with you, Norm. In any event, thank you, EJ. Thank you, Norm. Kavita, stand by because we'll be back. For all of you who are listening to the general public, we're glad that you joined us. And if you want to listen to the rest of the podcasts and every week, you know, then the way to do it is to be a member. and. Go to the DSRnetwork.com and click on membership and pay. I, I think it's up to, you know, fully $5 a month. It's the cost price of a cup of coffee or something. So a small price to pay for great conversations like this. And obviously this one's going to continue and we really look forward to having you guys back for now. Thank you. Uh, thanks very much.